Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? You're delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yes! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when no. they're not. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians chapter 2, everybody. First couple verses there. Welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio, everybody. This is Apologia Radio, the gospel heard around the world. You can get more at ApologiaStudios.com. As always, that's A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A Studios.com. That's where you guys can go to get more content, hundreds of radio programs, podcast episodes, all is there for your listening enjoyment. ApologiaStudios.com. Don't forget to also sign up for Bonson U. Bonson U is there at ApologiaStudios.com. Don't forget to do it. It's completely for free, and more is being added all the time. If you want the elite level Christian philosophy, apologetics, uh, hermeneutics, uh, history, Bible uh, education, it's all there. Bonson U, it is uh, constantly being updated. We're very, very excited about all that's coming there. It is completely for free. It's a gift uh, to you from us and the Bonson family. So as we always say, thank you to the Bonson family for entrusting us with this treasure uh, that we have. And uh, we're excited about all of you guys uh, signing up, getting all your free lectures, resources. Uh, As I've been saying about it, if you are a young man, interested in seminary, seminary level education. Uh, You're not going to get anything better. This is actually, much of this is Dr. Bonson's seminary courses and uh, classes. Uh, So we're very excited for you to start. Great for Bible studies, great for personal devotion and study, and uh, it'll bless your life. So if you haven't started yet, you should start at BonsonU at ApologiaStudios.com. Don't forget to sign up for All Access. When you sign up for All Access, you partner with us in this ministry. You make everything that we do possible. So if you've seen something from Apologia Studios, 
whether it is uh, cultists, sheologians, mm-hmm. whether it is the teaching ministry, the on-the-street evangelism, and Abortion Now stuff even, it's all Apologia Studios. It's made possible because people just like you partner with us in this ministry, and we want to bless you. So if you are all access, you get the TV show, you get the after show, you get Apologia Academy. We're doing some really interesting things right now to even bless you even more for partnering with us, and just a big thank you to you. Uh, don't forget, Ask Me Anything is once a month. Apologia All Access Partners can do Ask ask Me Anything. You log in, and uh, it's a private thing with just you and me where you guys can ask questions. We hang out together, and uh, that's for all of our All Access Partners. Happens once a month. Apologize to everybody. Uh, It was supposed to be last week, but last week um, was interesting. Last week... uh, the whole the whole state of Arizona, I think, went down with sicknesses, mm. either mm-hmm. flu or COVID or whatever. I think most places did. It was it was bad. I mean, last week was <laughs> was the, everybody was down for the count last week, but we all pulled out of it, and uh, we're back and uh, in effect <laughs> with no oh my cookies. God. In effect. In effect. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. that? In effect. It was from the old days of like uh, (laughs) Epic, wasn't it? We were like, in effect. Oh my gosh, Um, what nerds we were. We were nerds, yes. (laughs) So we're back. And actually, Ask Me Anything, as far as I know, is tomorrow. We're doing it tomorrow at 1 p.m. Arizona time. Uh, So we're trying to catch up and make sure we don't miss it. I know we missed it last week. We want to make sure we we do it for everybody who is partnering with us in all access. So uh, this is Luke the Bear. What up? That's Joy the Girl. Hello. I'm Jeff the Common Ninja, and we're back for another episode of Apologia. And uh, this is actually interesting. I, uh, both Joy and Luke have have not seen this clip yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of you guys are aware of Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has had some interesting moves forward towards uh, the Bible, the Christian faith, and uh, I just looked up. He claims to be a pragmatic Christian. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's uh, a Carl Jung, if pr- that gives you. Yeah, any idea pray for that. him because he's saying some things that's like that is actually very, very good, very insightful. I'm glad you're getting getting closer and closer. But Jordan Peterson, um, many of you guys have seen. Did you guys see? Did you see it? Uh, the um, the clip where he starts talking about Jesus and he starts to cry. Uh-uh. That was really powerful. Look it up. Look it up. Jordan Peterson, Jesus, and crying. I'm He's sure definitely you'll find it. for a while. I would say been grappling with some stuff, and yeah. obviously a very intelligent person. Super. Um, but you know, a little more like philosophically leaning mm-hmm. as opposed to. Mm-hmm religious yeah yeah so right. yeah and it's but i mean he's just i feel like he's continued to kind of get more and more and wait till consistent. you hear what he said wait till you hear what he says here it's gonna blow your minds it's like wow i'd All like right. to talk to jordan peterson i'm very if, excited jordan peterson if you actually happen to watch this and see this i'd love to have a conversation with you um i'm intrigued uh but jordan peterson um uh had a clip where he was talking about jesus and he starts to cry as he's talking about christ i'm not going to play that right now because we don't have time to do that right now but um in this particular one he just had a conversation with uh, joe rogan on joe rogan's podcast uh which is blowing up all over the world it was already popular but now it is uber <laughs> uber popular did you see sorry i think this is hilarious so like two or three days ago neil young <laughs> yeah, that's said, all that yeah, said I'm mm-hmm. gonna pull my music off Spotify yeah. if you don't get rid of Joe Rogan. If and the next day, the number one podcast. The next on your day, platform. Spotify said, "Bye, bye, Neil." They pulled yeah. all this stuff. Uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think that's amazing. I think they, exactly the first question people asked when they saw that was, "Who's Neil Young?" And the right. second question was, 
Are you on Spotify? Um, I knew who Neil Young I, Of course, yeah. No, I'm yeah. just I'm teasing. The modern, right. this the modern, modern generation is show. like who's who, people who are right. using people who are using Spotify are like who's Neil Young? Who right? are you? So well, Cooper's the one that sent me that. And what's funny about that is he was like his most popular song is "Rocking in the Free World." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That is funny. That is well, ironic. Well, it's, yeah. it's 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 fascinating to me because you look at you look at okay the two particular. I, I know we're gonna get into this, but this probably well I think lots a lot of people we're probably thinking the same thing. It's, two particular, it's show, so. yeah, it's our show. We do we, we do we please. <laughs> two we particular we people today, um, kind of cultural icons today that are both not Christians. They are not Christians at all. Uh, not even not even close. Is Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Um, Sorry, but Jack Morgan is trolling our is thing, he? And, and people are <laughs> thinking he's serious. Oh, is he messing he around? He said, I don't know why they use red oh lights. That's my. the devil's light. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Zach Morgan's a pastor. Apologia, guys. Uh, so two cultural icons. And what's interesting is they exist in the midst of a very strange culture. It's the cancel culture. And uh, most people can be taken down, you know, pretty uh, – uh, pretty you know easily through the cancel culture of today like we'll deplatform you you know you know we're gonna we're gonna take away your ability to work and feed yourself because we don't like what you said but these two cultural icons not christians are the ones that have been standing up against the culture of like you're not allowed to speak about that you're not allowed to talk about that you will not say these things and what's amazing about it is that they can't be canceled they can't be canceled because they are too good at what they do and too interesting to everybody, they can't actually be canceled. Like, for example, this guy, Neil Young, is saying, you know, I'll pull my stuff off of um, Spotify. And he's, you know, he's he's got a history. He's popular. He's famous. Neil oh, Young yeah. is actually famous. Yeah. yeah. And, and what as are they, much as we tease. Yeah, yeah tease, because the younger generation is like, who the heck's Neil yeah. Young? But he's, you know, he's 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 got some he's got some clout. And uh, he says, well, you know, I'll pull my I'll pull my stuff. And it's like, well, Joe Rogan's the one with like he's getting the most views and ratings of like anybody like he's mm-hmm. beating Fox News and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So by Neil Young and like yeah. with Dave Chappelle, like he comes against the culture. He says things he's not supposed to say. And like, we're going to cancel you. But he's too dang good at what he does. And so he can't be canceled. Uh, so I, I just find that fascinating. But what is irritating to me about it is that both Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan are the ones standing against the establishment in many ways, saying the things that are the blasphemous things of the day. You're not allowed to say these. That's blasphemy. That's cultural blasphemy. They're saying it. They're doing it courageously. They're standing against what people do to try to shut you down. And they're not Christian. So that is the thing that irritates me, is that uh, where, where are the other courageous men and women who are going to stand up uh, like these men are um, and do it uh, yeah, for righteous causes? Exactly right. um, not that some of the things they've done is not a righteous cause. It, it in many ways is. Um, but so Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan. Uh, I'm going to play the clip. We'll play through it. It's, it's about four minutes long. But I want you to hear some of the things that Jordan Peterson says because it's amazing. It's like, yeah, that's that's actually really insightful and good. And you're right, Joy. He comes from a very uh, philosophical perspective. Yeah. He's thinking in terms of a lot in terms of like categories and worldview and justification and all those things. So he has that mindset already. And I was so intrigued that he actually caught a very, very important aspect of like even what I read at the beginning of the show, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want mm-hmm. knowledge, if you want truth, then Christ is the very foundation of it. He's the reference point. Um, and, and it's interesting because Jordan Peterson, he sees that. Mm-hmm. He sees that. And what's amazing is he's saying it to Joe That's Rogan. Yeah. That's what you're going to love about this is that here's Jordan Peterson who's saying it 
across the table to Joe Rogan. And I, I just want to say a final thing. I think one of the reasons that people appreciate Joe Rogan's podcast so much is that when he has people on that he even disagrees mm-hmm. with, he lets them talk yeah, and share. He's very fair to him. He lets them talk and share. So um, yeah, I yeah. think Joe Rogan has conversations that he wants to have, and I think he's a good conversationalist. Yeah, he's just he's good at what he does. Yeah, that's why he's pretty much number one. <laughs> that's why he's he's <laughs> the most popular right now, for sure. If you guys, by the way, haven't seen. Um, the two, I won't even say it because if I say it right now, yeah. this is going to get shadow banned or something. He did two particular shows with some doctors and scientists <laughs> that you really need to see. You really, really need to see. It'll raise the hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah. Um, very important stuff. Very important stuff. So uh, here we go. This is Jordan Peterson's realization about the Bible. If you guys want to look it up for yourselves later, here you go. The Joe Rogan experience. If categories dis- 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 dissolve, especially fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is a stra- culture is a structure of category that we all share. So we see things the same way. Well, that's why we can talk. I mean, not exactly the same way because then we'd have nothing to talk about. But roughly speaking. We have a bedrock of agreement. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way. <laughs> wow. All right. Good start. Good start. One of the things that's interesting about this is, is just what he's saying there is something that you've actually heard us saying quite a bit. Now, we'll say it with a little bit more of, of, of a biblical explanatory power in terms of saying, you know, things like uh, you're in the image of God right? It's inescapable that you're in the image of God. You Mm. know the true God. And the problem is not like a lack of light or evidence about the true God. It's that we're all made in the image of the same God, but we suppress the truth because we don't want to know God because we're sinners. We rebel. We go the other way. We'd rather worship and serve the creature, the creation Mm -hmm. itself, rather than the true God. So the fundamental uh, issue in all of human experience in terms of our broken relationship with God, our estrangement uh, in terms of our creator, is that we know the real God, but we don't want to know him. We don't want him in our knowledge, Romans 1 says. We don't want him in our knowledge. And so what we do is we switch him for something else. Mm -hmm. We go to substandard gods, and we try to distort even the nature of creation itself. So like when he talks about categories, well, that's in Romans 1. The category of maleness and femaleness is in Romans chapter 1. And what happens is, and this is right in line with what he's saying here, when he talks about culture breaking down because we're not no longer sharing the same categories, mm-hmm. that's exactly what Romans 1 is, is essentially saying, is that the men exchange the natural use right. of the women for other men, and the women do likewise. And then, then, there's, then there's the description of the breakdown that Romans 1 says in terms of like disobedient to parents, enemies of God, and in, in, in all of, all of the, the different sins that show the breakdown of the image of God in Romans 1. <laughs> I think that's, that's this what's so beautiful about this conversation is that's essentially what Jordan Peterson's getting at. But he's doing it in a way by talking about we all share these categories. I think what he's really getting at is worldview. Yeah. Like we we all share these same worldview platforms, whether it's human dignity and that experience in human dignity, whether it's value of life, whether it's, um, you know, I'd say probably, I, I, I don't want to speak for Jordan Peterson, but I assume he's talking about categories of like the big no-nos we all agree on, 
we all agree that these are no-nos. These are immoral. You ought not do this. This this is the basic structure of all of our thinking that we share. Well, we would say that's the image of God in the in people. And of course, it comes downstream from the biblical worldview, changing the world, the Bible changing the world. So we're supposed to all be holding to these same categories. And I think what Jordan Peters is saying is now the, the cultural breakdown is because now we're dismissing all those categories that we all had sort of as a bedrock. And he's saying, and that came from the Bible. Mm. And he's right. Mm -hmm. He's 100% right. Now, watch him explain a little more. By the way, you guys jump in anytime. Uh, feel I was free. just going to say I'm surprised Canada hasn't banned them yet. <laughs> yeah, good well, point. Well, it's one of those things. If someone has a a certain amount of a following, it's they already have like their audience intact. So it's harder to cancel. It's the same thing with Joe mm -hmm. and Dave Chappelle. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They, good point. If you already have that That's sort true. of intact, that brand intact, then right. it's harder to take you down. Right. Because you have loyalty. Yeah. You have loyalty and you've established yourself and people yeah. say, I respect you and trust you. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting taken down. That's good. Here we go. So I just walked through the Museum of the Bible in Washington. That was very cool. It's a very cool museum. So the structure, that's what the Bible Yeah, that's what provides. I figured out. I mean, I just figured this out this week. So it was a cool, it was a cool thing to walk through because it's, it's chronological. They have one floor, which is the history of the Bible. Mm. But it's not exactly that. It's really what it is, is the history of the book. Now, in many ways, the first book was the Bible. I mean, literally, because at one point there was only one book, like as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was one book. And for a while, literally, there was only one book. And that book was the Bible. And then before it was the Bible, it was, a, you know, it was scrolls and it was writings on papyrus. And, but it was, we were starting to aggregate written text together. And it went through all sorts of technological transformations, and then it became books that everybody could buy, the book everybody could buy, and the first one of those was the Bible. And, and, and what he's referring to here um, is, and this is this is this is true. That in in history, it was the it was the Christians that essentially innovated mm -hmm. and created the technology of a book. Reformed Christians, right? It, it's so the book. Just throw it in there. Uh, yeah. So uh, so the book is is of course an innovation from the Christian church. And he's right. Like historically, it's not that people didn't tell stories and write stuff down. You didn't have scrolls and things, you know, handed out and you, you know, you had your own personal libraries at home in terms of the things you could carry around. But we're talking about papyrus and vellum, animal skins and things that are rolled up and passed along like that. But when we talk today about like, hey, I'm holding this here and it's just a collection of, of, uh, of books and letters and put together nice, neatly in this, this format. Well, that's an innovation of the Christian church. Like the Bible is what inspired the book and books. And so this was an innovation of the Christian church doing it like this. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what he's getting at. And so when you talk about the innovation of making books, well, it started somewhere with, uh, an innovation of the book it was the first. And so if you go to libraries today and you're secularist, you know, looking for your book and pulling it off the shelf and opening it up and everything else, it's like, well, you can thank a Christian for that. So <laughs> that's where it mm -hmm. came from. Amen. So came all sorts of books that everybody could buy. But all those books, in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book. And that book itself, the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. It's a collection of books. And so what I figured out was partly because I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jim Keller, who's the world's greatest chip 
designer and has now designed a chip that's as powerful as the human brain, which is optimized for artificial intelligence learning, by the way. And so I talked to him about that. He said, you heard of the Internet? I said, yeah, Jim, I've heard of the Internet. He said, <laughs> this is way more revolutionary than that. So in any case, we were talking about meaning in text because we were talking about translation and the problem <laughs> of understanding text. And Jim said, the meaning of words is coded in the relationship of the words to one another. And the postmodernists make that case that all meaning is derived from the relationship between words. That's, that's wrong because, well, what about rage? That's not words. And what about moving your hand? That's not words. So it's wrong, mm -hmm. but, but part of it's right because the meaning we derive from the verbal domain is encoded in the relationship between words. So, so now then you think, well, let's think about the relationship between words. Well, some words are dependent on other words. Some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. By de that's a definition of fundamental. Mm -hmm. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is, the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. And Milton would be in that category, and Dante would be in that category, at least in translation. Fundamental authors, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay, with the Bible at its base which is certainly the case. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of, ling of linguistic production, all things considered. Now how do you understand that? Like literally, how do you understand that? The answer is you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain, you build a low resolution representation of that in your, inside you, and then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard it explained that way, but that was incredible. That was a, a really yeah. fascinating way to yeah. get at yeah. what historically Christians have said, uh, in particular the, the school of Van Til, wow. uh, Bonson, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the the thinking behind transcendental apologetics or presuppositional apologetics is really the thinking that is in accordance with a revelational epistemology. In other words, how do I know something, anything at all? How do I know something, anything at all? How do I know about human dignity? How do I know anything about ethics? How do I know anything about human experience, about the world, about value, beauty, truth, goodness, anything at all? Well, we would Which say, is the one thing most people aren't taught right now. Right, right. It's just it's just what to think. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, um, uh, and here's what you're to believe, mm -hmm. rather than it's it, rather than getting at well, how is mm -hmm. that possible, and how do you know that that's actually true? Because it's amazing. People will always make claims, knowledge claims. Uh, I know this is wrong. I know this is right. I know this is beautiful. I know this is not. Um, I know this about humans, whatever. And you ask the question, well, how do you know that? How, how do you know that that's true? And if you push and push and push and push and push, and you don't start with something that's the very precondition necessary for knowledge at all, then you'll find that that person, the secularist, the atheist, the agnostic, whatever, the humanist today will simply say, 
Well, I guess I really don't know. Maybe we are just in a simulation. Maybe human beings don't have any real value or dignity. Maybe, maybe rape is not really wrong, right? Like I personally feel like it is, but I don't know that. Right. Right. That's and what what well, George... they certainly won't live. I mean, especially with the very most people in instances of like murder or rape won't be consistent with right that. But, right. Yeah. But they'll I... say it, I guess. If right, it comes yeah, to you, it. you'll they'll say because they're in the image of God. They'll say, you know. Uh, rape is wrong, we ought not to do that, right? And you push them on their worldview and ask them how they know that that's true, and then they're going to ultimately say, well, it's not really wrong. Uh, how many times have we heard that on the but show? But we even? shouldn't do it. It's but not we, really wrong, but we shouldn't. I don't think you should do right. it. Right. I don't think you should do it. But uh, I guess Which is just a knowledge claim. Right. I guess I don't really know with certainty that it's wrong. Right. Uh, but, what, but what Peterson's getting at, and that was a really fascinating mm-hmm. way to get at it, was that the, the word of God is the very precondition not just that it's true it's the precondition for all truth right and that's coming from jordan peterson yeah and i like how he, he talked about the low resolution what he was saying was the lens mm-hmm. that's how we describe it. it's mm-hmm. the lens right. which you view life which is your worldview mm-hmm. exactly he just said it in a very philosophical way he said it in a very fascinating way but what's amazing is at the beginning of the show i i quoted from colossians chapter two and what peterson is saying there is something that the Apostle Paul said about 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. that he's the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to know something, if you want to know something is true, if you want to know how uh, to, to live, uh, it starts with it starts with God, it starts with Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, um, you know, Jesus' claim about himself in John 14, 6, popular verse, Christians all know this, is I am the way, mm-hmm. the truth. Uh, he's not just something that is true. He's the grounding of truth. He's the very embodiment of truth. And so what Peterson aimed at there was something actually fascinating. He said the word precondition. Uh, the, it's the precondition for truth. Not just true. It's the precondition for truth, period. And so I love how he did that because he's pointing out to Joe Rogan something very fascinating is that you have all these things that you're holding on to. They're not just suspended in midair. Like, we exist downstream from something. And what is that something? It's the biblical worldview. It's Mm -hmm. the Word of God. It's what many atheists today uh, just take for granted, right? Absolutely. It's it's like um, a a while back, I uh, I did a show um, with Provoked, with Zach and Desi, and they had an atheist come on, right? And uh, as I'm talking to the atheist, you guys can look this show up. It's, it's somewhere in our feed. As I'm talking to the atheist, we, we, I was just trying to press him on his worldview. And we brought up the question of whether or not it's okay to um, kill, um, to mutilate, kill, and eat another human being, right? And I'm challenging him on that. Now, he, of course, lives here in this nation that was so influenced by God's word and God's revelation and and the gospel itself. And so, of course, he thinks that that's wrong and icky. But as I pressed him, I was like, well, but in other cultures that still presently exist today in the world, there are cultures, there are tribes who think that it is absolutely moral and good to to kill and eat another human being. Mm -hmm. And as I pressed him on his worldview, like, now you're living in a Christian nation in, uh, 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 sorry, no, I can't say that anymore. Um, You're living in a nation that's so been influenced by Christianity. So of course you don't want to do that. You do think it's immoral, but what about them? Is it actually wrong? And what did he say? I was, it was, it was so refreshing to have somebody just say this. He finally like 
came to terms with, oh, yeah, that's true. It's just their tribe and it's their society determining what's right. That's how we do this, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess you know, it's not really wrong. And I guess just so long as you clean your plate, it's yeah. not immoral. Yeah, I remember that. That's essentially what he said. Well, that, that is what he said, as long as you clean your plate. Um, so as long as you, you know, you, you kill them, dispatch them and you don't waste anything, I guess it's, okay. I guess it's fine. <laughs> it's just like, you just, you, you, you take it for granted as an atheist that you exist downstream from the influence of the word of God in the world and how it so blessed the world. And what Jordan Peterson's pointing out is the cultural breakdown in the West today is because it is a destruction of the categories that came from the foundation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're imploding. Mm-hmm. And I love how he just says that. It's not just true. It's I was the just precondition. Say, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, too, because I've seen some comments. We're not at all, like, approving of whatever theology Jordan Peter right. Jordan Peterson has at this right. point in time. We're sim- And we realize this was taken from a four-hour show. We're just simply responding to this one point and, and dissecting that. Yeah, and, and scripturally, so I'm glad you brought that up. That's it's it's interesting how oftentimes, and, and and I don't want to talk down to anybody, but Christians can tend to have some pretty severe knee jerk reactions based upon assumptions. Like in an instance like this, we're just saying Jordan Peterson, pray for him. I hope that God opens his eyes to the truth and he comes to Christ. Um, I'm just glad to hear him saying true things. Like, just because somebody is an unbeliever, I I don't know, maybe this is a good discussion to have for a moment here. Just because somebody is an unbeliever doesn't mean that the image of God has been erased in them, and it doesn't mean that they have nothing to offer. Like, for example, um, uh, you might have an unbeliever who, you know, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't trust in Christ, but they actually are an incredible artist, an incredible artist that I can admire and respect and appreciate and try to, of course, evangelize. But just because they're not a Christian doesn't mean I need to... to okay, so for example... You're talking about Neil Young? <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. Well, I, I'll say it like this. And I think this this is something that that is important, at least in my own mind. You have, say, an unbeliever, still made in the image of God, doesn't know Jesus, want to evangelize and want them to know Jesus. Want to, want to aggressively evangelize them so they know Christ. They may actually be a better artist and storyteller than the Christian artist and storyteller. Yeah. I may actually want to appreciate their gifts that are given to them by God, whether they acknowledge him or not, more so than the Christian. So like, and this is expressed, I think, so well with Christian media and film. Um, Have you ever seen a movie that was made by a Christian like, um, I'm talking about like, we're going to make a Christian film, you know, something that goes on pure flex. Have you ever seen one that you liked that was done well, good cinematography, good sound, good story, good acting? Have you ever? I'm asking. Um, my, my answer is no. They, well, they, uh, do Darren Doan <clears throat> films count? Well, that, you're talking about like, Darren yeah, know, does like documentaries yeah, and stuff. So that's just a different category. I'm talking like a film with a storyline and characters and acting and like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm talking about a film film. Like, of course we love Darren. Darren does excellent. But is that, is it me I'm saying? Is it made, the apostles phenomenal. But is it, I'm talking, you guys no, know, I what know what I'm saying? You, I know what you're saying. There's a, there's a scene <clears throat> in Princess Cut, which is a pure flicks yeah. movie where um, the main character is sitting in a coffee shop and for, about three seconds, you can see the boom mic at the top of 
That's amazing. The frame, amazing. right? Oh, I remember that. Actually, I do remember that. Now, now, go, no, and okay. I just thought that. I mean, that's it. Like yeah. they didn't. They were like, eh, we don't need to refilm it. <laughs> Let's just keep it in It'll there. It'll be fine. You know, there is such a thing as CGI, guys. You <laughs> couldn't work hard enough. Like, blur it. it was just... Right. Now, no, don't get me wrong. But that's please. sort of the general. Uh, that's I... sort of the general idea. Is like, eh, does it give people the warm fuzzies? Right. Does it? Is there some Bible verses in there? Eh, good enough. Right. Are there? Are the actors explaining the movie well enough for you? Like they're always telling you yeah. things that you know. You, you like, it's this, the assumption that the audience is stupid and can't understand nuance and figure the story out for themselves. It has to be explained in the dialogue. It's right. just done so poorly. I'm not saying that, okay, like, for example, like Hollywood started as this this mecca of, like, you know, Christian worldview creating, you know, Christian films and things like that. Obviously, a lot has changed. Um, but there's a whole cool story about Hollywood and early films and everything. I'm, of course, I'm, when you look back in the days, you look at things like uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and you look at things like um, Ben-Hur. There's a difference between then and now, and the difference is back then, not very long ago, the Christian worldview was still the writing assumption, like mm -hmm. roundabout society, like the Bible, the biblical worldview was still the, the accepted, this is above all of our heads. So as you're making films like It's a Wonderful Life, gonna say that. <laughs> it's, it's still above the head, right? And now as Hollywood takes a nosedive and they start like throwing off the fetters of the Christian worldview and all that stuff, you know, you start getting to a place today where like you've just got garbage. It's a hot mess. It's always, we, Joy and I were just talking about like shows that it's like, this is done so well. <laughs> the cinematography, the direction, the production, the acting, the storyline. And they feel like today it's like, well, you know, we've done seven episodes so far and we've got no bare breasts scene right. so uh can we get like can we get a 10 seconds like girl walking by with her bare breasts you know well what's that got to do anything in the film nothing but we just well don't we have to do that like don't <laughs> we have to the put that in there homosexual exactly and so right. but i'm talking about today when you look at like you know I'm, I'm a christian director christian filmmaker and they come out with this stuff it's like it's done so poorly and it's embarrassing at times i don't have to say because i'm christian and they're christian Oh, you're really great. That's good art. No, it sucks. Like it's really done poorly. Like we should do what we do to the glory of God. Christians used to own art. We used to own architecture and and medicine and science and all the rest. We were the innovators and the ones that were the, the movers and shakers. And now it's almost like people have this like thing like, well, as long as you're a Christian, then I can accept what you do, love what you do. You're the artist. I'm going to I'm going to love your stuff and the unbeliever I'm not going to appreciate your art or your stories or anything else because you're an unbeliever. And that goes to even like this thing with Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson says something that actually is true. It's really good. And then our reaction is, well, he's not actually saved yet. So I need to just reject and not appreciate anything that he says. It's like, no, let's pray for him. He's getting closer. And I really appreciate the insight. That was actually a very good insight. Mm, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, we still believe that a heart change is necessary to be Completely. a Christian. So you can yeah. say a lot of true things. Yeah. Um, I mean, there may be people you sit in church with Yeah. that say a lot of true things that uh, we've been doing this for how long now? And I say we, I guess you guys have been pastors for a long time. You've seen people come and go that said all the right things. So mm -hmm. we certainly don't, we mm -hmm. haven't changed our position on no. that. But no. he is saying some pretty, he has always been saying some fairly impressive things for yeah. someone who does not claim to be a Christian. Yeah. yeah. And he continues to do so. Wouldn't it be great if we got him on the show? We could talk to him and just have the really meaningful, deep discussion and, and even offer some solid challenges to him. And, to uh, it. 
give him give him the uh the, give him the gospel that would be amazing make that happen guys get the word out to jordan peterson we we'd love to have him on um so uh let's talk about uh any more on peterson guys or no or I, go- that was just very cool i'm glad we got the dice yeah that. so um we did a show uh, i think it's the last one we did yeah it was the last one we did on alcoholics anonymous and um, the Christian worldview, is Alcoholics Anonymous consistent with, or can it be consistent with, the biblical worldview, the gospel itself? So the issue is really like, you know, the gospel and addiction. Um, and so if you guys haven't seen that show yet, after the show, go back listen to that, go listen to that show, Alcoholics Anonymous. We talked about the 12 steps. We talked about whether or not the 12 steps were consistent with the biblical worldview. And so we had a lot of questions. People were asking questions like, okay, like, where do I go from here? Uh, we had some people that, you know, were upset. Uh, you know, we knew that was going to happen, saying, you know, like, uh, AA helped keep me sober um, and, uh, you know, things like that. And so, you know, we, maybe we can address some of that. I think we did address some of it in the last episode. But I wanted to talk about a little bit a step ahead because the big question was, okay, what next? Right? Like, I think a lot of people were saying, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, you know, uh, come to God as we understood him. Like, you can worship a doorknob or electricity mm-hmm. or the group or the chair or whatever else. And that's not helpful. And obviously, the gospel is ignored in AA. And um, I'm sorry. The comments today are just <laughs> so interesting. Killing me. We got an interesting group today. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't. I can't. Um, I... So the question, the question was like, okay, where do I go from here? And, and somebody even asked me uh, at church, they were like, well, I have a pastor friend who wants to know, okay, like what's next? Right. Um, okay. I, I see that we can't really do AA as Christians. It's not consistent with the Christian message or the gospel itself. It detracts from it in many ways. And so what next? And my answer is okay, Christian discipleship. So key thing I want to say, I know Luke and I would always want to say this. When you're dealing with the issue of addiction, it's amazing that Jesus didn't sit people down in different groupings. When he, like Sermon on the Mount, he says, okay, all the adulterers sit over here, the drunks sit over here, the pill addicts over here. Mm -hmm. Did they have pills then? You know, whatever they were smoking. Um, And uh, pharmacia, yeah. 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 And so, you know, everyone over here who's a thief, you sit in the thief group. Uh, Jesus just talked to crowds and the issue was always sin and it was always repent and follow me, believe in Christ. Salvation found only in Christ. Okay, so Jesus doesn't group people according to their sins. You're just a sinner and you might have some favorite sins, right? But your your problem is the same and the solution is still the same. So we always want to say, however, when you're dealing with the issue of addiction, this is important, you can't say you just need to repent to the person that's taking like benzodiazepines every day or they're drinking like, you know, two bottles of vodka a day. You cannot say to that person, um, just repent and stop drinking because you might be giving them a death sentence right, exactly. because there are chemical toxicity issues related to that particular drug of choice. You can't just stop cold turkey or you'll die. So you've heard us say many times, we maybe even said in the last episode, I don't know if we did or not, that pastors used to have like bottles of whiskey. Right. That you, they I think would, we did talk about Yeah, that. they would taper people down. Yes. So if you had like a drunk... And that's the proper term, by the way, not alcoholic, it's drunk. If you had a drunk um, who, you know, you were ministering to and they're turning to Christ and you needed to help them, you would usually taper them with like shots of whiskey. Like, well, how much are you drinking now? All right, let's give you a shot and let's give you another shot in four hours or whatever the case may be. They would just taper you down so you wouldn't die. Um, and, and, And also it's a mercy to not 
allow someone to go through much pain. All that to say, you got to be really cautious when you're dealing with the area of addiction. If the person in front of you is, say, um, uh, shooting heroin, um, are you going to die from stopping opiates? No. You're going to feel like you are dying and you're going to wish you were dead, um, but you have the issue of opiates why don't you take the person to a rehab or a hospital and get them professionally detoxed mm-hmm. so that they're not going through hell for two weeks? Like that's a, that's a mercy. I used to love that part of, of working at the hospital I was working at is people would come in that were just a mess. They were just in misery. And as soon as they would get in within like within an hour of checking in, they were stabilized and they were okay. And mm-hmm. they weren't like in horrible pain uh, because they were being tapered you know, over two weeks or, you know, 30 days or whatever. And so you have people who might be addicted to alcohol or benzodiazepines. That is immediately gets to the hospital, immediately gets to the hospital, gets a rehab, professional detox. You need that because you can die. You have people who are addicted to um, heroin um, or pills, Percocet, Dilaudid, um, whatever the case may be. Um, and those are people that you can still work with professional detox because it's going to help take away the misery and the pain. And it's actually going to make it a little easier for them not to go back. Because, okay. At a certain point, that is almost what exclusively compels people to continue their addiction. That's that a good they point. They just can't, they can't, their body can't yeah. go they can't without, it. without it. Right? Because it, they just. Can we describe that happening. a little bit? That's a good point. Yeah. Because um, you, if you're talking about like an opiate addiction, right. um, everyone who does any kind of opiate, heroin is in that category, Percocets are in that category, Dilaudid is in that category, um, Vi- Vicodin, you're just talking about an opiate. Um, what you'll feel, and look, let's say you were addicted to Percocets because let's say you blew your back out in an accident or something like that. You just need to know this. The detox that you're going to feel when you stop taking Percocet and you've been taking it for, say, a year and you're taking like just like a lot every day and you decide like, I'm done with this. I feel like garbage. I need to stop taking these now. Um, The detox you're going to feel coming out of Percocet is the same detox that the IV heroin user is going to feel. So you're going to get the sweats. You're going to get the shakes. You're going to feel absolute misery your legs you're not going to be able to stop kicking your legs that's one of the things you see a person who's detoxing from heroin or pills laying in bed all night long and they're just kicking their legs won't stop kicking uh you have these uh uh uh, shots of almost like electricity uh going through your your fingertips and your Mm -hmm. toes like it's just like bursts of, of of electricity that's what that's what you feel and so um so in a situation like that joy's exactly right one of the key issues is a person says i'm done I got to stop this. Like, you know what, you know what's crazy about it? We often think about it, it's the drug addict on the corner underneath the overpass. Like I think about them kicking like in their little bed they made on the side of the road. Like mm-hmm. you think about like the sleazy guy, something like that under an overpass. But what's amazing is that it's also the soccer mom who got rear ended while at a stoplight a year prior and she was given uh, Percocets to help her with the severe pain she was in. She wasn't looking for an addiction. Mm-hmm. She wasn't trying right. to get high. She, you know what I'm saying? She just was taking Percocet to take care of a real legitimate pain issue. And now she decides, I got to stop taking these. And next thing you know, she's like in tremendous pain. And so what she do, she's like, I can't stop. Uh, why? Because I'm in so much pain. I need a pill just to make this pain go away yeah. from stopping the, the pills. That's that's an excellent point. One of the key issues that keeps somebody locked into the addiction at that point is chemical 
it hurts. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no, we don't believe in the disease model. Right. But there's no point in trying to disagree that there are physiological yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. Ha- the high is physiological right so the wit and i mean there's some things you can like technically with a lot of a lot of opiates you you can experience symptoms when when you've been taking it for two weeks right like you'll experience a extreme like emotional outburst or mm-hmm. um it's 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 pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's a key, a key issue here, too. So let's say anybody in the audience who loves Jesus, you get into like a major car accident, you start taking pain medicine. First, we'll say this. Praise God for pain medicine, right? Like if, if, if my son is jumping on a trampoline, he flips off and breaks his femur, I am giving glory to God for morphine. <laughs> Right? That's supposed to be like one of the most painful right. things that that's, can happen that's to why, a person. That's why I said that. It's one of the most painful <laughs> things ever, and I want to give glory to God for morphine. It's a gift. Yeah. yeah. But also, it's a curse, right? It can right. be a curse, but it depends on how you use it. It depends on how you use it. But within 72 hours of using any opiate, or say even alcohol, if like you're binge drinking for 72 hours, to some degree, to some degree, you're chemically dependent. After 72 right. hours, mm-hmm. to some degree, it might just be minimal, but to some degree, you're chemically dependent. Now, imagine you have like a major surgery and they give you a prescription for pain pills for 14 days, 30 days. Mm-hmm. You are chemically dependent. Now, you may be able to get off it because maybe it's just minimal, like the milligrams is not very high. It's not a whole lot, but maybe you had a catastrophic car accident or something like that, and it's pretty significant. You're chemically dependent. And so it's best to wean yourself off. It's best to wean yourself off of any of this stuff so that it's not as painful. Or if you're in a situation where even inadvertently you've become addicted to pain medicine, uh, you weren't seeking to be a drug addict or to get high. You just did it because you legitimately needed it. There's no shame in going to a detox facility. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's one of the things that I always feel like so bad for some people is like they they inadvertently got into a chemical addiction because of a legitimate pain issue and they're like embarrassed to go to detox it's like you don't have to be embarrassed by that it's not that's that's a physical thing it's chemical dependence and that's that's it's okay let's get out of it let's get over it let's let's go get you know medical treatment so all that to say as we start really engaging this we're not saying when we say AA is not compatible with the Christian worldview and it's not compatible with the gospel, we're not saying just repent and believe the gospel. Like there's a, there's a whole beautiful way you can apply the biblical worldview yes. here and you can thank God for all of this medicine and ability to get out of this in a way that's actually comfortable. But you may want to initially look at the person and say, is this person just going out like to party on the weekends and they're just drinking, they're drinking too much or you're using pills every once in a while, like assess that. Or is it like an everyday, all day thing? They're hooked. Assess that and say like, you may need detox. You can't just say cold turkey, just stop doing it. And also it puts the person in a better place. Okay. And I'll shut up here. People would come in to the hospital I was at. I would usually try to hang out in the lounge as much as I could or come through to see who was coming in. And you would see somebody that was just out of their mind their eyes are glazed over they can't they're in so much pain they can't even converse with you they're they're not they don't even remember that they talked to me that's mm-hmm. how gone they were right. sure. they don't even remember they had a conversation with me within a couple typically people sorry people yeah. that are going into rehab they're just like 
one last time, right? So they just uh, go yeah. all in and, so, and then show up. Yeah, totally blasted out of their minds. Or you'd have the people coming in that were like trying to detox themselves and they are in so much agonizing pain. But even still, they, they can't even have a coherent conversation with me. Like I remember one time I had a conversation with somebody where I talked to them. It, it must have been for at least two hours, preached the gospel to them. I thought, I mean, they were crying. I thought, this is amazing. This is, mm-hmm. this is great. I saw them again the next day and was like, you, you want to have another conversation? They were like, who are you? They did, had no clue of the conversation I had with them. I was like, <laughs> well, that seems like that was wasted, right? But with the benefit of like professional detox is it gets a person to a place where they're balanced where now they can listen. Right. And that was a huge gift to me was like, are they, are they being detoxed yet? Like how long have they been detoxing? Oh, they've been here for a couple of hours. They're doing okay right now. Okay. Now I can talk to them because like I knew like, well now they're in a place where right. I can actually, I can talk to them yeah. and maybe something will penetrate. Well, and um, I mean, just to everything you're saying, I think that proves an additional point, which is that um, we do believe that people who, so obviously there's a physiological component, but people who are going through this are vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, there is some sort of traumatizing stuff that's happened, either that sort of launched the this worship problem, or it ha- because of chaotic living, there's a lot of just really messed up stuff. Um, some of them don't have their kids. Some of the I mean, some of these people have been living rough for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, even some of them are just they're legitimately trying to get off of things. They've already decided they don't want to do it anymore. But um, it is, I think it's important to acknowledge that even people who go into rehab are vulnerable. Generally, rehabs are secular places. Yeah. Um, and so it is important. So while rehab is a tool, um, it's not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and we don't obviously recommend AA as a tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so what that means is that I, I mean, I do think pastors need to be a little bit more aware, uh, depending on their church population. If they're seeing a lot of addiction, probably need to do, um, some brushing up on this, but, right. uh, but I mean, I know, I know plenty of people that they, in rehab, they were diagnosed as bipolar, all this stuff. And people who you're talking about people who aren't remembering conversations that they're having because they're so messed up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I do, I think it's, it's a great tool. um, But we also, we also believe that there is a vulnerability. um, I mean, in many different types of sin, Mm -hmm. but there's a vulnerable, there's a vulnerability that does require a lot of discipleship specifically from a pastor, specifically from a group of people that can be there to support people um, like I said, I had friends that tr- were tried to con their rehab, tried to convince them that they had these like horrendous mental illnesses. And they're like, well, do you think maybe I'm just like a little off chemically right now <laughs> because I've been injecting heroin into my veins every <laughs> right, day. Right. Um, and so I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to foresee, uh, someone's argument against us, which is that like, oh, so like rehab's just a tool. Why isn't AA just a tool well, that can yeah, be used? No, good point. And so when I say, when I would talk about rehab or professional, I'm talking about professional detox. I'm talking about medicine. Right. So you're not even necessarily talking about a 30 day stint. No, I'm saying medicine. Right. As a matter of fact, that's what Luke and I would look for. Um, when 
um, I was no longer working at the hospital as the chaplain there, if we had somebody who was in need of detox, we would look for a facility that yeah. just did the detox. We didn't want the 30-day right. program where they were going to, to go into their meetings every day. We just wanted the detox aspect, the medical detox, and we would want to handle the discipleship aspect. And that gets to the second part of this conversation, is when we go past the conversation of the chemical toxicity, that conversation, and what could be the most beneficial to bless that person, the next question comes to, okay, so what next? Well, you already know our answer. They need a new heart. They need eyes that see God. Mm -hmm. They need the gospel itself. And it, there is, listen, there, look, what, what's the point of putting um, what lipstick on a pig, right? It's like, it's the same conversation of like, you know, rearranging furniture in a burning house. It's like, what's, what's the point? Deal with the problem. Exactly. You know, you, you talk about the problem of addiction and you, if you're going to only focus on the externals, the person's heart's still the same. Nothing's changed. Like, you know, fine. I, how many times did I, did we see somebody get the drugs pulled out of their system via professional detox? They're now completely clean. They're like 60 days clean and they still want to use their drug of choice or they're still the same person and they're just massively struggling and they want to go back. They want to go back. They want to go back. Well, what, why? The chemical issue is gone. To toxicity is out of your system. You're good to go, right? I mean, there's still some rebalancing neurologically needs to happen, all that stuff. Okay, fine. Maybe a year goes by, but what's the problem is the same you is there. Mm -hmm. Drugs are gone. Everything's rebalanced. It's the same you. And so you need to be saved. You need, a, you need the Spirit of God living within you. That's the key issue always and every time is you need eternal life. You need to be forgiven. You need peace with God. That's the issue. That's what you're exchanging God for is that idol, the heroin, the pills, the alcohol, the sex, whatever it is. But then, and this is the question that was asked, this pastor wanted to know, like, okay, what next? Well, what next is Christian, dis Christian discipleship. Right. Which, which, is what, which is what AA and rehab yeah. do right they insert a philosophy and a program that you follow yes. to keep you accountable mm -hmm. um so it's just it's exactly what they're doing except mm -hmm. with truth and yeah. Yeah. and not just an external inventory where you fix up yeah. the outside think about it. they have a congregation they have a text they have a ritual. <laughs> they have a worldview. They have uh, oh, a system of commandments, uh, in a sense. And so it, it, it is religious in every sense. And they have also any God you want. Mm -hmm. uh, God as we understand them. So they have a God. They have a text. They have a congregation. They have their weekly meetings. A priest. It is religious, religious, religious. Worship. Um, now, what we're saying is Christian discipleship. Now, by the way, please forgive me if, 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 I, if I'm not communicating clearly in such a way that when you hear Christian discipleship, you don't think that it needs to be specialized in any way, or that I think that it needs to be specialized. It does. So for example, um, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but just think in terms of like, this person's in the image of God. Even if you get the drug out of their system, chemical toxicity is no longer an issue. They're still in the image of God, and all those same problems that led them to the drug of choice, to their idol, still exist. Right. Uh, many, many times they have been just multiplied right. because of this very specific sin tends to have a lot of consequences. Certain sins are just as vile, but don't have a lot of external consequences. You know, it's these, not as obvious. Right. These yeah. happen to be very obvious consequences. So that their original issues um, plus 
all the problems and trouble they've created right. for themselves. So that's exactly right. So what, what we often would say is that let's dig deep. All right, you got a new heart now. You love Jesus. You want to glorify God. You want to worship Christ and not, you don't want to go back to the old idol. So you dig deep, pastorally speaking, or even as a brother or sister ministering to somebody who's come out of this. What is it that led you to the drug? The drug? What led you to the idol? What were you trying to go to it for? Well, this person's in the image of God. So it's usually, it's just like a network of things that are common to all humans. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, shame and guilt. Somebody feels guilt and shame. And so what do they do? They use the heroin to give them feelings that allow them to ignore the guilt and the shame. Or they try to uh, drink the guilt and the shame away. The problem is, is that guilt and shame can swim. And so you can keep going and going and going and you blur it for a little bit. But guess what? The amazing thing is exactly what Joy just said. It's exactly this, is that you might go to the alcohol to get freedom from guilt and shame. But it can swim, and as soon as that moment is gone, you're going to find out that you did things while you were drinking that actually established more More, guilt and shame, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, this God doesn't ever satisfy your needs. Like, I I need to get freedom from guilt and shame, so I'll go to this God. Glug, glug, glug. Oh, no. Now I've got more guilt and shame. It's not a very good God. So guilt and shame is an issue. Anxiety. People are fearful, constantly afraid. And so what, man, this, you know, one of the most popular things today is people who are made in the image of God are constantly fearful of the future. They're so anxious. And so what do they do? They go to a doctor and they're like, I am so anxious. And, and the answer is yes, you may have now actually uh, um, uh, created chemical factors in your brain from a life of practiced anxiety. So is it, is it chemical or spiritual? Well, both, many times both, but it's fed by the spiritual. That's what really drives it, is the spiritual. And so people say, well, I got to get rid of this anxiety. I'm so fearful. So they go to the doctor and they just get a bottle of pills, yeah. take these pills, and this will solve your problem of anxiety. Well, big question, what changed? What changed in my thinking or my heart to make the anxiety go away and the fear of the future go away? What, what changed? Nothing. I masked it. Yeah. I masked it. It's a Band-Aid. And the amazing thing is, you know what? This is what shocks people. Does it surprise you to learn that many of the popular pills given today to people for problems of anxiety have the same chemical, um, uh, the chemical impact as alcohol? In other words, it's doing the same thing to your brain as drinking, right? right? Like, oh, this pill's really helping me. Well, it'd be the same as you going on having a beer a couple times a day. Like you're just, you know, well, it's the I mean, same chemical ben, issue. Or what we were talking about vodka. earlier is benzos. Those are yeah. probably the most common yeah. med given for yeah. people with anxiety right. disorders. And it's just alcohol in the pill. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so what do people do is they, it, it, I always say to people like, look, okay, it can be a grace from God for the person who just had this a massive massive traumatic experience to go to the hospital and they just, they are out of their mind, shaking, crazy. It's a grace for the doctor to go, hang on, let me hit you with this. <laughs> right. Let me calm you down for four hours. That I would call that a grace, but you can't, you can't make the person live like that. Well, and that's not what we do. We don't, <laughs> right. Doctors don't prescribe 14 days of benzos, they say you will take this for the rest of your life. And when it stops working, come in and we'll readjust your dosage. You know what that is? That's this for the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. That's this. And the problem, here's the thing. 
What's changed? Not a thing. You're masking the issues that are underneath that are all related to God and how you see God and, and your trust in his word. And so people go to the pills for the anxiety, but also, and this was a popular one, it was definitely mine when I was using, was pleasure, a pursuit of joy and pleasure. People just want to have pleasure and joy. And so they go to the ecstasy, they go to the cocaine, they go to the, the meth or whatever it is because they're trying to seek this pleasurable experience. And it's amazing because it's like, well, how does that relate to God? Well, that's what God created you for. Mm -hmm. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what God says about himself. And so, lo and behold, image bearers of God are in a fallen world just, just clamoring around to try to find joy and pleasure somewhere, not in God, but I'll find it somewhere else instead of looking for joy, looking for pleasure, and they're just trying so hard to have that in their experience because that's what you were made for. You are made to have pleasure and joy, but you're supposed to have it in God, in God. And so people go to the idol for the pleasure and the joy or things like loneliness. People are desperately lonely. They're separated from God. They're desperately lonely. They don't trust him when God says about himself as father, all that. And so they use to try to blur that. They use to get themselves into a place where they can hang out with other people, you know, go to parties, make friends, or whatever, make those connections that are typically sinful. And so uh, there, there's a host of issues that you say, okay, what are you going to it for? That's got to get solved. Mm -hmm. And it's got to get solved with God's truth. Like the shame, I'll just, just I'll land on this one, the shame and the guilt. Does Jesus have something to say about that? Mm -hmm. Does his Christian worldview answer the problem of shame and guilt? better than drugs and alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to take a lot of training in your heart and your mind as a believer with a new heart to actually say, I believe God over myself. I'm going to trust his promises about my forgiveness and no condemnation and eternal life. And my sins are forgiven as far as the East is from the West. Like that changes your whole life. I don't need to go to the alcohol because I feel guilty. I'm not condemned. It is finished. Do you see how like the word of God and Christian discipleship actually heals this stuff? And it's not like, um, and this is the last thing I'll say, it's not like the alcoholic or the pill addict is the only one that's, they've got the guilt and shame problem. Right. That's like a no. universal issue. It's everyone. It's everybody. It's just that the alcoholic chose to go to that particular God with all these consequences to do it. But guess what? Christian discipleship means the alcoholic, uh, sorry, I, I used the proper word. I, yeah. I didn't want to correct you yeah. on the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it for the purposes of ever, how it's, everyone it's hears this conversation. This is incredibly influ. It's the, the medical terminology, yeah. the disease model, uh, even outside of addiction, even yeah. when it comes to things like depression and anxiety, it is so influential that we even have to we have a hard time yeah like i know what you mean when you say alcohol right but what yeah. you mean is drunk but yeah, it's so yeah. influential yeah, yeah. and uh, and and in this context in this conversation that's that's the language that's the that's how people speak and um and and but the pr the problem is is proper definitions and how am i actually gonna get out of this my point was is I, as a pastor, we as pastors have to deal with brothers and sisters who are healing from the problem of guilt and shame all the time. Mm. You know what's amazing is that many, I would say most of those people who are being discipled and growing out of the problem of guilt and shame don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol, never did. But they still have the problem of guilt and shame needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Right? Just so happens this person over here was doing it with drugs and exactly. alcohol. Right. Uh, but guess what? This person over here, same problem, same need, same solution. So 
I would say as far as anxiety, this is that's a huge one that uh I mean I've been I've been meeting with a number of people over the last several months that I mean I think I think COVID's brought on a lot of that, but people that are really struggling with anxiety. Um so this has been a hot topic. I'm sure it's been for you as well with with people, but um I, I just wanted to point out that like anxiety ultimately isn't the root issue. And people just think, Oh, I'm anxious, that's the issue. You know, so they want to mask it or they want to put a Band-Aid on it. Anxiety is the peripheral outworking of the root issue, and the root issue ultimately is fear. Yeah. They're afraid. Right. They're not trusting God. It's a right. lack of trust in God's sovereignty. So, like, that's what we're talking about is getting to the root issues of all these different things, not just slapping a Band-Aid on the the outworkings of the root issue. We want to get to the root and and, and put that to death. So. Yeah. You're afraid because if uh, you don't trust God. Yeah. Well, and we just, our culture is just full of all the medical terminology you could ever want when it comes to diagnosing yourself and figuring out why you are the way you are. Um, and I think especially why it would be damn, I, why I would never, I don't recommend AA for anybody, but much less for the Christian is it's not going to teach you, um, it, so much of this is what we would refer to in our culture as just like emotion mm -hmm. or feelings. I feel, I, and I spent a lot of my young walk as a Christian unable to understand like my feelings in relation to the word and mm -hmm. God and, and, and trying to figure out why I felt the way that I felt. And that is just all of us. Like that is this, this, I mean, that's this culture, the United States, Western culture, whatever you want to call it, that is us just all trying to figure out what, like what and why and are our emotional outbursts appropriate and some aren't and labeling it because we hate God and we, we don't want to have to go through this. Uh, we, <laughs> we mm -hmm. just want to figure out some sort of psychology that allows us to have a reason for why it's happening. Um, and they're just... For the Christian specifically, um, and obviously without giving the gospel for the non-Christian, um, in terms of your emotions, there are no like there are no sinful secular uh, uh, emotional expressions that are faithful, and you're not going yeah. to be able to handle them with a method that hates God and doesn't acknowledge sin. Yeah, um, you have to redirect your emotional outbursts, <laughs> even if they're internal. <laughs> Some of us are very internal with our outbursting. Um, and you have to redirect those things through the word. Mm. And you are not doing that in AA. No. You're not. You're just not. No. And I'm not saying that people haven't been saved in AA. People have, absolutely. But it's been despite AA. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, people, I see some of you guys in the, in the comments here, I appreciate what you're saying. You're like, well, I... I was an AA and I came to Christ. Well, just please, let's just try to recognize that it it was despite AA. It was despite what the 12 steps were saying. It was despite uh, the fact that AA does not point you to Christ, that it try, attempts to pretend neutrality. Maybe you heard the gospel from a Christian that was there at AA. Okay, so it was despite AA. It was because God sent a messenger into the AA group. You're um, the exception, not the rule. Exactly. Uh, AA is not preaching Christ. AA is not preaching the gospel. AA is not pointing people to Christ for salvation and forgiveness. Therefore, AA is pagan 
and should be rejected by us. And someone says, you know, so many, you know, God is, you know, uh, uh, infiltrated AA so many times. It's like, yeah, yeah, God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. Doesn't mean that Christians should go around looking for crooked sticks, right? I mean, we shouldn't do that. Um, and so this is something that the church has the message of life for. We should be the ones who are actually engaging this area in a way that is most meaningful and has the most blessing on the world. And we can't advocate our duties as the church uh, in particular areas to the world, which is what we've done in the area of, uh, of addiction. We Believe me, it, we really have. Um, it's well, been... and it's just expanded to everything, to the area, to modern psychology. Mm-hmm. It's not even, and that's why you don't need to categorize your flock into thieves and right. uh, addicts and adulterers, uh, because it's it's sin. Right. It's a worship problem. It's a worship problem. And yep. and all of us mm-hmm. can attend the class. On worship problems. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, it's amazing. It's, and uh, I'll finish my, I guess we're going to wrap up here. We're already out of time. Um, yeah. uh, so one of the greatest blessings to me in my life was when I came out of my addiction uh, 22, 23 years ago. Um, when I came out of my addiction, I was, I was going to church being fed. I was growing. God was dealing with my anxiety and he was doing it through his word. It was, it was powerful. But there was a key issue that needed to get solved in my heart and my mind. And uh, in God's providence and just truly by his grace, I picked up the the book, The Pleasures of God by John Piper. And what's amazing is that that was my, that was my root issue. I dealt with anxiety. God's healed me, healed me there. And, uh, but the issue for me was pleasure and, and joy. And, um, and it was amazing as this is what's what joy, exactly what you just said, Joy. It's like, it's the one group, same problem. We can all go to class to get healed. Uh, but I read The Pleasures of God and I remember I got like to chapter four and I, I remember I had this moment. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the answer. This is what I was doing. That whole entire book said nothing about drug and alcohol addiction. Right. There wasn't one word in the book about drug and alcohol addiction. But it was all about my drug and alcohol addiction. Mm. Get it? It was about real joy. Yes, it was about the sin yeah. that was causing me to pursue pleasure and joy the wrong place. Right. And I, it was all about my problem, which was drugs and alcohol. But it didn't say one word about drugs right. and alcohol. It was the sin issue. And that's why that book was such a blessing, because it was really, it's, it was just the word of God on this issue for everybody. And it would just hit me where I needed to be punched. So... It was yeah. amazing. Man. Big blessing. And Pleasures of God, by the way. Say, John we, Piper. We Absolutely. didn't even get to identity. We were we already Did done. you want to say anything about that real fast? We're no, here. I'm not even going to open that can because it's a whole nother <laughs> We'll do show. it next time. We'll yeah. talk about identity yeah. next time. Cool. Identity in Christ. All right. So everybody, um, oh, quick, help me with this because I'm just scattered here. So we have a lot happening in the next couple of months. A few things. We, we want to invite you all to. So big praise to God. We got a bill of abolition into uh, the state of Colorado. Yep. It is in now. Um, and, uh, hopefully we're going to be going to Colorado, uh, to do a rally around that bill. It's a bill of equal protection for all human beings. We also have a bill of equal protection, uh, in South Carolina. We have one going into Louisiana and one going in, we have one in Indiana. Mm -hmm. We have more coming. We have, uh, the next time you can come and actually hook up with us is going to be March the 5th, South Carolina. The capital is 
We were there last time. I forget. I didn't it's go. the capital. It's the capital in South Carolina. Forgive me. I forget. That um, one city. Yeah, that one place, in South Charlotte? Carolina. Uh, is it Charlotte? No, That's North Carolina. That's North Carolina, isn't it? Raleigh is North Carolina's I don't capital. I know. I'm sorry, everybody. Geography. You'll, right you'll, here. We'll be putting it out there for you guys, but just know we're going to be at the capital in South Carolina, <laughs> March the fifth, for our res, uh, our our bill with Representative Hill. Columbia. Uh, Columbia. Thank you, Conover. Oh, gotcha. Equal protection. Equal protection in South Carolina. Come join us. If you're in and around South Carolina, come and join us protecting all humans. You can tell we never passed geography in <laughs> Yeah, sorry. School. My brain is just melted down this week. Um, it's been a week. It's been a week, and a couple of weeks, actually. So, hey, praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you guys for partnering with us. Go to ApologiaStudios.com. Sign up for all access. I'll see you guys tomorrow for Ask Me Anything. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out. That's Joy the Girl. See ya. Don't, forgive to give, don't forget to give at EndAbortionNow.com. Help us to get our budget for this next year to accomplish all that we're doing. We have so many states with equal protection bills. That's abolition. Ending it completely. You can be a part of that with us. EndAbortionNow.com. Thank you, guys. Catch you next week.